Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast Well dopey now podcast. It's the time for the Dopey Podcast When you call in And dopey put podcast. all your life on blast And you call dopey in podcast. And talk about your past Because your life was furious, hardcore and fast So now is the time for the Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast, yo This is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast Now if your life was furious, hardcore and fast You feel like you want to put your life on blast Just call up the show and I talk about your past Cause now is the time for the Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast The Dopey Podcast, yo This is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Allo Recovery Located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu and Silver Lake, Aloe was created by our friends Bob, Forrest, Evan Haynes, Jared, and the other Bob. We love Aloe because they like to treat drug addicts with compassion rather than control. They treat co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They have amenities, including sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and the ultra-spiritual and soul-seeking sweat lodge experience. I've done it, and it was a pretty profound experience. Um, Aloe has decades of experience treating addicts, and if you're fucked and you're willing to go to Southern California to get help, I totally recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by CASL, which stands for Clean and Sober Love, the dating app for people who choose a sober way of life. It was created by one addict helping another addict to date safely. So here's the reality. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Coffee meets bagel? CASL is the solution. Dating and recovery is real and worth considering if your shit is together. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded people all over the world. I'm talking about drug addicts and alcoholics who are clean that you can have sex with and hang out with. Install the app now on the App Store or Google Play Store. Oh, and by the way, it's totally and completely fucking free. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the Dopey Nation through the power of Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you want to help the show and throw a few bucks, that would be terrific. Also, we have beanies, we have socks, Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. You can get the sock beanie combination package for a mere 30 bucks. Or if you want other stuff, go to www.dopeypodcast.com and order shirts hoodies, and long sleeves. Enough with the ads. Here is the show. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And I'm in Manhattan, and I'm joined by... Can I say your name? Yes. My very mysterious friend, Ray. Welcome back to the show, Ray. Hi, Dave. That's two weeks in a row. Yep. It's a beautiful day. It was like a week ago I was here. Seems like a long time ago. Does it feel like a long time to you? It was a long time we were here. 
Yes. Do you want to talk about that? It was a long day. Do you want to talk about that? It was fun. You know, we did the show, and then another guy came in, and he brought his friend, and then we were talking in the next room, and y'all came out and said, shut up, shut up, you're... Well, there was a guy that came on that's a that's a potential dopey guest for January, and he was recording an addiction podcast or a recovery podcast thing. So I recorded with him and Ray and his friend. His friend was very weird. Well, 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 we were having a conversation. We were trying to talk really soft, but we were not. But then Dave was like, "Go in the bedroom." So suddenly, I'm in the bedroom, Dave's childhood bedroom, with a stranger, and I was like. you were, you were titillated, strangely? No, I was not. Why, because he was old and looked a little bit like Frankenstein? No. What? But he didn't, You don't think he looked like a preppy Frankenstein a little bit? Well, it was just weird to be in a bedroom with a stranger, but we had an hour-long... Hold on, hold on. Did you think he looked like a preppy Frankenstein? No. A thin, sort I of Kevin McHale I type? I did not think that. Do you know who Kevin McHale is? No. He was a forward for the Boston Celtics who looked a tiny bit like oh. Frankenstein. And no. this guy looked like an older version of, oh. of Kevin McHale. Well, McHale's. I was just thinking... The older me, a, a younger me, could not have like ha- been comfortable having an hour long conversation in a bedroom. But it was fine. We had like a nice, mainly about programs, sobriety, and things related. And then we were done. And I think it's interesting that you say sobriety, because I say sobriety. Sobriety. You know that guy Todd, gay yeah. Todd from the meeting says sobriety. Sobriety. Too. And I say sobriety. Sobriety. What do you say? You say sobriety. Sobriety. I think that's weird. So, but it's an S O S O B E R. It should be sobriety. Sober is the root sober. Word. No, I think you're right. I think I'm mispronouncing it. But I also it also just gives me the willies when you say sob- sobriety. <laughs> it's like it's sobriety. <laughs> sobriety in here. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. Um, let's just jump right in because we got important dopey business. Very to cover. professional notes this time. Usually, it's Dave scrawls something illegible on a piece of paper at the last minute. Now these are like. Very professional, printed out notes. And he took my notes for himself. He started. He said, let me take a few notes on your notes. I and thought said, these were my notes. Well, they are your notes now. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to serve us or not. Last week, I did the same thing. I had a typed sheet of notes, but I printed them so small oh. that it didn't help us. You know, it was like... I, I didn't did, see I, them. I barely looked at them. That's what I've been doing. I've been typing out little notes that I can't read. Yeah. And so I don't look at them. Last week, I didn't look at the notes. Now the notes are very big. You don't wear reading glasses? No, but my vision is fading, so it's time. It happens overnight. I know. It's like, I feel like it's cataracts or something. I went to work one day, and I was like, oh, I can't read. How old are you? Like 45. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So the most important thing that we have to talk about before anything else is um, the Mountainside Scholarship. We have a scholarship from Mountainside Rehab, which was the the rehab where I had met Chris, and for any new listeners who don't know who Chris was, Chris was uh, my friend who I started the podcast with who uh, overdosed um, two summers ago and died. And Mountainside was where Chris and I had met, and Mountainside put on our first live DopeyCon event, and they are uh, offering a scholarship to anybody in the Dopey Nation who is um, sick and suffering, um, which I think is amazing. So I've heard from a few people and I, I would like to hear from more. The easiest way to get the scholarship to Mountainside is to submit either a one-sheet page of paper why you want to get clean, why you think a scholarship is right for you, or a voicemail if you don't feel confident in writing. I got this letter. It's a very, very like tough way to start the show, but I think, um, I think it's important. Ray, you want to read the letter or you want me to read the letter? You read it. All right. All right. So I got this letter. Um, before we started talking about the scholarship. 
And I'm going to read it because it's a tough letter. Uh, Dave, I've been meaning to write you with one of mine or my girlfriend's many dopey stories. Sadly, this letter will not include any. We began listening to Dopey right around Chris's final episode. The new episode we heard the day it came out was the episode following the news of Chris's overdose. We were both affected by the news quite a bit, especially because of the parallels it had with my girlfriend Ashley's pre-existing opiate dependence and addiction. About that time, our house had been raided for a marijuana growing operation I had been engaged in for a few years. She had just moved in that year with her seven-year-old son. The raid was the source of much stress and anxiety, continuing all the way to the present. Her son moved in with her parents following the raid, where Ashley would spend many days during the week with him, many of which I would accompany her. Ashley had maintained her sobriety from opiates pretty good over the previous year at the time the raid occurred, but within a matter of weeks following the raid, she had relapsed and overdosed on heroin. An ambulance was called, and she was revived, after which we were both arrested, her for the possession of the heroin in her body and me for possession of marijuana and drug paraphernalia. Later, her charges were all dropped after a half-dozen court appearances, and my own were dropped the day of the first appearance was set for due to a law protecting those who call for help when someone overdoses, which is a great thing. This was the second time I had been present while Ashley fell out. The first one about a year or so previously and involved methadone. An ambulance was called that morning as well. Naloxone became a mainstay in our lives during the second incident. Naloxone went on to play a role in reviving Ashley six more times in the following few years, five of which I personally administered to her and one administered by a friend of ours when I wasn't present because I was in jail for a marijuana grow raid. We spent every day together, and even while I was in jail for a month, we still saw each other twice a week and talked almost daily via the phone. We were inseparable. My job became helping Ashley reduce the risks of death that accompany IV opiate use. One harm reduction measure we employed was to add methamphetamine use to the table. I encouraged the meth use because at least it didn't carry that same level of risk of death with each use as heroin. I used meth along with her for the year and a half, and I was presently surprised when it seemed to help slow her, he- her heroin use for a while. Eventually, heroin worked its way back into the dinner list, or the dinner menu. It was her drug of choice, along with benzodiazepines, mainly Xanax. She would be sure to alert me before shooting heroin so that I could monitor her breathing, which I did using a finger oxygen monitor, and I would stand by with naloxone on hand. We knew the reality of risk that existed and tried to manage it as best we could. These management techniques definitely annoyed Ashley, as did my constant fear that accompanied her shooting sessions, but she obliged still. I would shake her from her nod quite regularly in order to make sure she was still breathing. November 4th, our measures failed to protect Ashley as she self-administered a dose of fentanyl, which would lead to her unintended death. I was gone for four hours helping my mother at her small store, not four miles away, and returned to find the love of my life slumped over with her face down on the coffee table with a puddle of drool pooled around her head. She was still warm, and it seemed like I may have arrived in time to once again reverse the situation. I administered two doses of naloxone intramuscularly and squirted a third dose into her nose before calling 911 and beginning chest compressions as I awaited the medic's arrival. It was not enough to save her. 
I lost my favorite person in the world that afternoon. I don't know what I expect to accomplish by sharing my story with you, but I feel it is at least somewhat therapeutic for me as I continue on living after this terrible tragedy. My name is Josh, and the angel I lost was named Ashley. Ashley Becker, I can say her name. Feel free to find our profiles under the Dopey Podcast Facebook page. His name is Josh Clark. Ashley's family has been extremely great to me following her death. Her mother and stepfather, who is the judge for our county, tried to help Ashley as much as they could and in any way they could, and the entire family are very good people. And he included some pictures of Ashley himself and the the seven-year-old boy uh, whose name I won't mention, and that is just a terribly sad story, obviously. It was terrible. Terribly sad story. Um, I've been writing with Josh for a little bit. Obviously, um, I'm so sorry that this happened, um, but Josh was writing me, and he's been using, you know, and, uh, and he wants to get sober. So Josh is like one of the first applicants for this, uh, this um, scholarship. Sounds like a good candidate. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. Like, I have a plan that it's not just going to be one scholarship. I already have uh, another scholarship lined up, so, like, nobody freak out. Like, there's going to be some scholarships. So if you guys need help, please send in um, an email. And I don't want the show to be crazy, sad, and depressing, but, you know, sure, everybody who gets high um, loves getting high, and it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of stupid, fun stories. But the other side of it is that uh, our friends die. Yeah. The you, loves of our lives you, die. You prefaced the story by saying this is a very sad story, and I still was thinking, I was surprised at the, the way it turned out. I Why? Was, I don't know. I just kind of didn't, it didn't sink in that how sad it was going to be. But Plus, he, I think the scholarships are going to be the legacy of Dopey and not the Dopey story that will be, will uh, override that. I think it's two. Future. I think it's two sides of a coin. Yeah. Okay. You know, I think um, I cannot make Dopey and not have Dopey be fun and funny yeah. and a good time. And obviously, there's very little joy, if if any. There's no joy to pull out of that story. Well, it seems like Josh was like a doctor, right? In that story. Well, that's the other crazy thing. It's like none of it seemed fun. Right. I mean, he did say he enjoyed the meth and he's growing weed and he's probably getting high. I, I got high forever with, uh, with this one woman, and I know she didn't have any Narcan or Naloxone, and, and she was Nobody wasn't... has it. Well, no, I now. Mean, now they do, but... Look at that. I mean, like, I'm mad. I mean, like, she never checked to see if I was dead, and I never thought I could die. Like, yeah. I never thought death was a possibility, yeah. and now here we are. We're literally, everyone's just dying, you know? And, you know, I, I have, I, it's like, you know, saying it over and over again, but, like, Chris didn't think he was going to die. I, I, was, I, I put out this scholarship thing, so I've been hearing a lot of, uh, of addicts in crisis. Yeah. And I spoke to a dude last night, okay? Um, I'm not going to say his name. He lives uh, in the South, and he recently got busted, and he has his car got repossessed, and he couldn't pay to get the car repossessed, yeah. and he's like, he's kind of interested in getting a scholarship, yeah. and he's also in the weed business. And I was like, dude, are you willing to give up the weed business? And he's like, I don't think so. That's his job. Well, and also he's not willing, like, it's like, it's in those final moments of your addiction or in the moments of your addiction when things get bad, but you still don't want to give it up. I think that's just... He's not willing to give up weed. He wants to get off of dope. 
I don't think he wants to get get off the of dope either. Oh, okay. I, I think I, I was in that spot like forever. I would go to treatment. Yeah. I remember going to treatment and they would want you to write your letter to your drug. And one oh, of yeah. and one of the times I wrote my letter to heroin, I was like, You're such a whore that you've taken me away from my beautiful virginal girlfriend pot that I can't <laughs> go back to pot now because of you. Yeah. Um and that's like this dude was like I was like, you know, you, you probably aren't going to be able to just sell weed. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, do you see? He's like almost 40. I was like, do you see yourself in 20 years? He's like, yeah, man, I'd be this hippie. I'd go fishing every day. Smoke a joint. Smoke a joint. <laughs> and like, you know, I just think the scholarship, if you have reservations, and everybody has reservations. Right. If you have reservations, you know, the scholarship might not be for you. You know, I need somebody who really wants to get better. And that doesn't mean you will. Like I said to, I said last week, I think, I don't think I've ever come out of treatment and gotten better. Like, I don't think it ever happened. I always relapsed out of treatment. That doesn't mean that everybody does, but this is a chance to point you in the right direction. That last time you came out? Yeah, no, it didn't work out. You got sober by other means after you got out. I got out. By going to meetings. Well, I got out. I wound up using, like, the day I got out. Then I wound up using again. Then I wound up going to N.A. for 18 months, white-knuckling it. And then I started drinking. And then I started smoking weed again. And then I started doing pills. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was there through all that. That was my, that was my trajectory. Um, but let's talk about your trajectory. People are, people are saying, what's up with this guy, Ray? We, we don't understand him. I've got one friend who thinks you're probably this very dashing beatnik figure. And then this <laughs> other friend says that you sound like a junkie hobo willing to have sex with anybody at the drop of a hat. I'm not willing to have sex with anybody so, at the drop of a hat. So, like, I want. I have standards. So, so let's, let's learn a little bit about Ray. How are you, Ray? I'm good. So let, let's learn. Let's delve into the mysterious world of Ray. Well, um, your clothes look incredibly well laundered. I do not believe you washed them in the shower. This is brand new. Ah, where'd you get it? At L Chain Vintage, which is a great store. Where's that? It's in Bushwick. L Chain Vintage. It's ve- this is very nice. It's so great. This was ten dollars. Wow, yeah. I would spend thirty dollars. I bought for that three shirt. of them. I see. There's the yeah. thirty bucks. So let's let's learn more about you, Ray. What, tell 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 the dopey nation about you. What? Just tell them about you. I don't know. Oh, Uh-oh, my dad's six phones <laughs> saved by the bell. Well, one thing I wanted to say about relapse, or you, what do you want me to say something about myself? I Listen, don't know. I don't care what you I'm say. I'm a musician. I met Dave through music uh, at that place, Cat Weasel, which was on the, the podcast like four years ago where we talked about this. Did we talk about Cat Weasel again? We talked. I don't think we did. So I don't, t- why don't you paint don't a picture? I met Dave at this place where this like old man would like have a party in his apartment every night, and all these kids would come over and jam. And then he'd he'd be sitting there on the couch, and he'd go, he'd hand his credit card out, go get me some vodka and some ice cream, and some kid would take his credit card and get some vodka. And it was just a wild party. And Dave hated it. Well, he it was like a beatnik. It was beatnik. It heaven. was beatnik heaven, and he would pee himself on the couch. I hated it because it smelled like urine. It smelled like pee, and I was sober. I would go there sober, yeah. and I was like, and I, all I would want to do is get fucked up at Cat Weasel and enjoy. The and that's what I heaven. was doing. I was like, I would have a bottle of vodka, and we'd be smoking weed. That was like classic addict place. Like for like, it's not where you go in new sobriety. <laughs> you don't go hang out at Cat Weasel <laughs> no. newly sober because like I was like, I don't like to go personally. I don't like to go to any like. Like, that's a wall-to-wall stoner, alcoholic, yeah. 
old black man urinating on himself party. Yeah, more than like my other, like a lot of places I go are like that, but that was much more. But I, I you know, even, uh, I don't mind going to those places not drinking now, but um, I don't know. That was, uh, that was really fun. I don't think, did you ever, I mean, Ray is the alcoholic's alcoholic. In his using days, Ray would, Ray, you got fucking... Twisted or drunk as anything. Like I remember, I would see you around back then. People thought I was doing pills because I was just—I would get so out there on just on vodka. Well, I had to smoke weed too, and you know, I had to be careful with weed because that would like put me on the floor, and I couldn't walk home. I couldn't get home. And you would take uh, whatever drugs you could get for yeah, a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what? Now, like, I have—I've figured out like if if I'm at a party and people are doing coke. I'm like, whatever, like, that's, you know, stupid, you know, you, you see them. But I have to learn, like, you, if people come to your place, you have to go, you can't do coke in my apartment. You can't do drugs in my apartment. Because then I might want to do them. If I'm at, out, like, I don't want to do them. But what I want to know is, you got sober when you were in your mid-40s. Mid-50s. Mid-50s. You're a lot older than I realized. Yeah. Um, you got sober in your mid-50s. Had you considered getting sober any time before that? I looked up on the internet like three or four years before that, like AA near me. This is like upstate when I was upstate. Um, and then I never went there. I was just like terrified of it. And I, I, I texted Dave. I'm like, do you go to meetings? Dave was the first person, but I didn't go to a meeting with him. But I started talking with it about him. I've, I told my story at DopeyCon, which was I was... I would go out to gigs in Brooklyn and I would drink a bottle of vodka and I would find somebody that lived in Manhattan. And I, even if I didn't know them, I was like, when you leave, get me and take me on the subway with you because that's how I got back home. And I did that with this guy. And then on the way back to the train, I got a bottle of vodka at the liquor store and I came out drinking it. And I said, do you want some? And he said, no. And I was like, are you an AA? And he said, yes. And I said, can you help me? And that became my sponsor. And I didn't know him really at all. And yeah. he took me to a meeting and then he became my sponsor. And, he, and then we became very good friends. Why don't you tell the spaghetti story? Oh, this, in the restaurant? Yeah. Upstate? Yeah. Oh, that was embarrassing. Um, I, w- I, I had a cabin upstate. Me and my boyfriend had a cabin upstate. And we went out to this. Or we, I would be drinking all day in the yard, working in the yard. And then... My boyfriend would like take pills and like, and he's not an or he's sober, but he would have like painkillers that his was prescribed. He would put them in the aspirin bottle, and then I had an I had a headache, and I um, and I took a few aspirin before we went out to we drove into town to go out to dinner, and we picked up a friend along the way, and then I'm sitting there at dinner and I'm drinking martinis, and then I just passed out face down in the spaghetti, and then. Did you ever find out what kind of pills they were? It was um, uh, either Vicodin or s- Vicodin. Or Percocet. 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 Vicodin right. and Percocet. And um, so I took like two Percocets and then drank a bunch of martinis. But then they had to carry me out of the restaurant. And they put me in the truck and they're driving me home. And they're like, what? And, oh, then I came to like at some point and I could hear the friend going, what's that smell? And I had shit my pants. 
Oh, I didn't remember that part of the story. <laughs> that's, that's why you made me tell that story. Do you want me to, do you want me to take this out? Do you want me to no, take this out? No, that's fine. That happened. So that was part of the reason. But I forgot that part of the story. <laughs> that's the worst part of it. I so I shit my pants in a restaurant. They carried, they dragged me out and put me in the back of a truck. So like when you got sober, like you're, you enjoyed being sober. Yeah. Oh, I wanted it. So I wanted it so bad. It was not fun at all. You know, the last few years... Of it weren't fun at all. I was uh, this dude wrote me uh, Fidel yesterday and was asking me about uh, my relapse last whenever it was two weeks ago, and I was like, it wasn't like I went to a party and had a drink and was dancing and had fun. It was like I went downstairs to the liquor store, got a pint of vodka, came upstairs and chugged it, and then passed out. Like that's not fun. And like what I mean, like I know there were weird circumstances leading up to it, but like what were the feelings like, like? Like, because you had managed not to fucking drink for yeah. five years. It was about. like, I just want to make all these feelings, all these emotions go away. I had that the last time I relapsed was, was like four years ago, you know, but like when I was starting, was anger. Like, I had extreme anger at a friend, and I dealt with that by getting a bottle of vodka and chugging it. Like, that's how I drink. I don't drink with like a party, you know. But I was thinking that's anytime the last time I did a drug that I enjoyed doing years and years ago. Like Crystal or something. It was like Crystal was just like it wasn't fun. I didn't clean my apartment. I didn't have great sex. I just like jerked off with a limp dick for like twenty four hours on Crystal. On Crystal with like porn. But what about the great MDMA relapse? That in was Ireland? awesome. All right, that well, was not a relapse because that was a spiritual. Experience. That was a spiritual experience. Well, this is this is alternative, uh, the alternative recovery movement at its but like, best. And like, I smoked weed for years and years, and I didn't like weed. I hated weed. That's a weird drug addict thing of like that. I would like want to put something in my body that I didn't like. Like that's weird. And I think I that's, was like that with coke. Yeah, I was totally like that with yeah, coke. I I think a lot of people listening have that same experience of like. I remember drinking. Of like, I do not want to drink. I don't like this experience of like. Going to the liquor store, buying this drink, chugging it, and then that, like, and I did it for years and years and years. I was like that with alcohol and Coke. I, I didn't, I mean, I loved weed. I yeah, loved weed. I know you did. I loved heroin. I loved pills. Like, I love them. Yeah. You know, and you it never got to a point where you were like, I'm doing this, but I don't like it. Weed, no. I always, I loved it. Oh. I, I loved every bong hit. I can still feel the vibration of the bong in really? my hand on a minute to minute basis. Um, but I don't miss it. I just can remember it. It's part of me. I liked it. I, I really... just, my last, like for years, years, like my thing with weed was like, I would smoke weed and then I'd be like, I have to immediately drink as much alcohol as I can to make this weed feeling go away. See, I was the opposite with alcohol that I would drink and then I'd have to smoke <laughs> as much pot as possible so that I didn't have to feel sick. We should exchange alcohol. passports. That's funny. That's funny. Last time I remember, do you remember when you came, Ray was going to join my band Years ago, <laughs> I auditioned, and I was and I was still getting high. And Ray came over, and we were playing, and uh, and I was taking a bunch of bong hits. So Ray packed himself a bong hit and didn't take it, but took a picture to of take himself, a photo, you know, and um, just to like I don't know why. I think Chris, he's in he's in this weird social media. I, yeah, I took a picture. Uh, I had like a dinner party at my apartment. And there was all this non-alcoholic beer on the table. And I took a picture of me and Bob and like six empty beers with me like holding a beer bottle up. And Bob was like, don't send that to Dave. He's going to blame me for that. But it was non-alcoholic beer. Oh, yeah. The same okay. thing as like the weed, weed thing. Well, um, lots of stuff coming up. 
And I, and I think Ray's non 12 step approach, even though the 12 steps is what got you clean. Um, I did the 12 steps and, and my sponsor made me write that letter that you, that, that thing of like goodbye letter. Yeah. Um, we support, uh, any kind of method of getting clean. And I have this plan, uh, to support the alt recovery movement, to support dopey. There will be a day coming up. It will be known as dopey day. And everybody who is involved with dopey on that day will put the dopey logo over their eyes in their social media. And this will basically say that anybody could be a fucked up drug addict. Like my dad could put the dopey logo over his eyes or you can, or I can, or Linda can, or any of you guys can. So that's dopey day is coming up. I would like to know who plans on participating. Please write an email to uh, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you're willing to participate in dopey day. And now because there's a lot of stuff to get to, and, and we're just gonna, what are you what are you pointing at? What are you thinking about? What's going on I'm with you? I'm not pointing at anything. You're pointing at a ton of stuff. Oh, I'm not pointing. I'm just moving my finger. You're just looking at the list. Yeah. Um, I want to play. When is Dopey Day? I don't know. Okay. TB, TBD. Okay. Dopey Day will be determined. What day do you want? Maybe 420. Now, what day do you? 420. What yes. day do you want Dopey Day to 420. be? 420. You want it to be 420? Perhaps. But I don't want to fuck with all the stoners. There's a bunch. Yeah, of, you know, yeah. you don't want to ruin their 420. Right. Don't don't. What's it? Don't. What? Hi. What is it when you say, "Don't kill my buzz, man"? Yeah, there's a better. There, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's a great line. All right, um, what is it? Shit, you fucking ruined the show, man. <laughs> um, anyway, I want to play a voicemail. This is longtime dopey listener Randy. Hey, Dave. This is Billy Baru, aka Randy. Uh, I'm just calling to let you know that today is um, I, it's my sobriety date. I have three years sober today. And I uh, just wanted to thank you. And, um, you know, without, without you and Chris, I would have never have thought to go to 12-step program in the first place. I actually go to uh, CA, which is uh, Cocaine Anonymous, and uh, I, which I much prefer to AA. Anyways, uh, it works for me. It works for me uh, up until this point. I, before listening to Dopey, I really didn't consider going to a 12-step program, but uh, but um, with your encouragement, I, I I did and I tried it out, and you know I found a I found a place in it, and uh, it's been it's been an amazing three years. In the time that uh, I started, I, from the time I started to get sober, I've I've now married. Uh, work is going great. My health is really good. Uh, so many things, man. At work, uh, relationships with my family, you know, everything. And um, it's just it's just a different way to live. And, you know, if I had to describe the difference between what it's like to be in active addiction and what's, what it's like to live a sober lifestyle is when, when, you're, when you're actively, when you're in active addiction, you are guided by your urges and that's it. You, you don't give a shit about anything else other than your urges and um, you'll f- fuck anybody over or you'll you will you know not care about loved ones, you won't worry about appointments or times or boundaries or anything. All you care about is getting that drug into your body and nothing else matters and you are just a slave to the addiction. It is absolute slavery. What I found in Sobriety is the opposite, total and absolute freedom. I can do anything, anytime I want. I can go anywhere, see anything, build relationships, 
I can thrive at work, thrive uh, with my family, thr- thrive in my community, do whatever I want. And I can go anywhere. I, I, can, I can go on any trip. I can drive anywhere at any time. I can visit anybody anytime. There are no restrictions. And so instead of being guided by urges, I now am guided by principles and just basic, decent human values that we all have. And and, uh, some of us never had a chance to adhere to them because we were always addicted. But now that addiction has gone away and I've been able to build uh, a life through myself, through the boundaries of principles, it's day and night, man. It's day and night. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm going on a, long, a little bit too long here, and I'm probably start, starting to sound a little preachy, but uh, I'm just very grateful. And um, I know I'm one of many, many people that you've helped and continue to help. And uh, I just want to say, keep it going. Toodles for Chris. All right, that's Randy. I love to hear from Randy. And um, I don't know if you know the story of Randy at all. No. Um Years ago, uh, Chris and I started the show, and, you know, I mean, even to this day, it's it's still, like, surreal, the idea that people listen to the show and people are engaged with the show, even though yeah. I understand it's happening. Like, yeah. I get it. We're here recording the show. Uh, we're playing voicemails from people and talking about other people that are listening to the show, but it's still very surreal. Yeah. In the beginning, it was even more surreal. Because, All over the world. Yeah. In the beginning, it was way more surreal, though, because it was me and Chris in my apartment talking at the computer, no gear, no nothing, and uh, and not, like, giving a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, super loose and whatever. And this dude, Randy, wrote us as Billy Baru, and he didn't want to get sober. And then he had, like he said in the voicemail, he decided that he wanted to, to try. And um, his life changed, and he invited us to a steak dinner. And me... I remember this. And me and Chris... Uh, Chris picked me up uh, after work. Because I remember I ate a little bit of Katz's before I went. It was annoying. And we went and we met Randy at this fancy restaurant on the Upper East Side or something. And uh, and then Chris booked a hotel room right around there. Um, and me and him stayed at the hotel uh, to record. And it was actually the episode we recorded with Jed uh, from Church and Other Drugs, which is an- another podcast that kind of uh, is related to Dopey. And... Um, and, and and Randy sat there and he's ordering us steaks and snapping his fingers and and me and Chris just thought it was the coolest thing and Randy was saying how big he thought Dopey was going to get and I'm so proud of Randy and I'm so happy for him but it definitely makes me fucking sad you know it just I mean I'm happy for Randy's success but yeah. it just makes me think about Chris yeah and um and there was so much fucking enthusiasm in us and like it's just so crazy like. It is weird to me that something as pure and real as young enthusiasm and life can be snuffed out by getting high. Yeah. Like, I don't want this to be some, like, public service announcement, but that's crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, And it was just, what, like, four years? That was four years ago. That was three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah, he just got three years. So it was, like, about three years ago. So, yeah. So I'm happy to hear from Randy. And it's crazy, and um, the, that voicemail was great. Thank you, thank you, Randy. We love you. Um, I also fucking have to say that uh, just in in regard to before, like that I was one of those people that wouldn't give up a drug, that would lie and say I need to do this in order to stay okay. And it wasn't about the like 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 the dude I spoke to didn't want to tell his parents, 
And the reason he didn't want to tell his parents is because it will take away him being able to use with impunity in the future. Right. You know, and it's like to protect that thing. And I can relate to it, but I can also say that once, you know, I hate the fucking preachy talk, but eventually it got to a point where I had to fucking give up. Right. You know, you you want to say something to somebody that will help you, but then you don't want to because then that will take it away. I know I feel I. I totally get that. And I like the thing you said about he was a prisoner. I felt like such a prisoner. Like I had to get this stuff into my house, my apartment every day. I had to get either 12 beers or a bottle of vodka and I couldn't drive. I couldn't go out at night. I couldn't, you know, everything was based around like, I can't go because I have to do this every night. Also I have to do, have to pass out every night. Well, the funny thing is to me that like, you know, like, again, I hate the preachy kind of talk, but like, like I get high, like this morning. Okay. I get on the Long Island Railroad and, um, and it stinks of bud. Like it just oh, stinks. Oh, the night before. No, yeah. no, no, no. There's a dude. Sitting oh, there's, they're smoking in the no, morning. No, no, no. It doesn't stink of smoke. It stinks of bud, like plants in the dude's pocket. Oh, I see. He has marijuana in his pocket. He probably, and I see this dude all the time and it always stinks of the crazy dank bud. And I look at him, and he kind of, like, nods at me. And then you kind of have this feeling where you know if you want to get Bud, yeah. he'll give you Bud. Yeah. You know, I could get Bud off that guy. Yeah. But I, instead, I reach into my bag, and I pull out my computer, and I know that my life is my adventure now. Yeah. My adventure is not getting high. Yeah. If I got high, it would be like saying, I'm going to try to live life with my arms tied behind my back. Yeah. Like, I would have no way of trying to keep up with my life. So... I don't know. I think that's interesting. Now, this week on Dopey, we have a, um, a special guest. The guest is named Reggie Brown. He was on the Philadelphia Eagles back in the 80s, and um, he, was, uh, he had a hard time with uh, freebasing cocaine and crack. Did you ever smoke crack? I smoked crack, like, once. I, didn't, I was never big on cocaine, and I, and I didn't really like crack because it was just so, like, smoke me, smoke me, smoke, you know, it was like... Too much, like too short. I thought you liked Coke. I mean, I like Coke. I just don't like having to do I like Crystal better. Right. When I remember one time, uh, what would happen to me... I like Coke if I've got a pile of it, but I never had a pile of it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like having a pile of it. It made me feel like shit. I remember I would go... I, when I was trying to be clean, when I wasn't like really like in the mindset of I have to be clean, but I was trying to be yeah. clean... My friend Todd would invite us out, and I would go out with Todd, and, uh, and we'd have drinks. And the second we'd have drinks, he'd be like, it was just the funniest thing. He'd be like, I'm getting Coke. And I would be like, if you get Coke, you better get pills. And then he'd be like, okay. So, so he would be like, so we'd drink, and we'd get Coke, and then we'd get pills. And then it would be like, at that point, it would be like, let's just get dope. So like we would start with just smoking weed and drinking in the bar, and it would escalate to us being on heroin, which just escalated to not doing any of it yeah. except getting the heroin. Right. You know, and uh, and of course anybody who hasn't listened to the show, uh, Todd died too. Todd died yeah. six weeks before Chris, and that's the other thing I said to this kid. Todd died uh, from two bags snorting them. That's the thing with I have friends that are not drug addicts that like casually do coke and enjoy it, and they're like, I don't do coke anymore because you don't know if there's fentanyl in it. Right. Well, well, I re- I remember the first time I did coke though, which is like tells about like this is my feeling. It set up my feelings about coke. Is I was at a party with my friends here in New York, but they were from Florida, and they were getting a coke dealer to come over, and I'm like, I don't want any part of this, and um, and I don't have any money, and then 
the Coke dealer came and went, and they're all doing Coke. And Wait, hold on for a sec. Dad, yeah. dad, dad. Yes, right. what? Wait, all right, Ray, I'm sorry for interrupting your story, but my dad needs to be the center of attention. He can't just leave the house. You didn't see, Ray. He sticks his head into the kitchen. He goes, I'm leaving, because he wanted so badly to get on the show. It's not Then I true. said, do you want to get on the show? He said, just mention my friend from George Washington High School. And I said, I'm not mentioning that. And then he said, well, just tell them that I'm wearing the dopey hat. So, Dad, why don't... Here, say whatever right, you want. So again, he has everything wrong as usual. I'm leaving the house, and I just wanted him to know I was leaving. And then, of course, he stops and makes this big deal. I don't have a friend from George Washington High School. It turns out that there was somebody... There's a guy on Twitter named Senor Dios Mio who claims to be Dominican. And who said he taught at George Washington High School. Upper Manhattan, and that's where my wife, uh, David's mother, went to high school. That's what I wanted to mention. Nobody cares about that stuff. I thought it was significant. And then, and then my dad also, I gave my dad a dopey hat, a dopey yeah. beanie, and dopey socks. Well, the dopey socks, I'm sure you're taking back. No, I have, plenty, <laughs> I have plenty of them. Really? I thought, I thought you could use the dopey socks that you gave me. In any case, the dopey hat is freezing outside in New York. So, so how warm would you say the dopey hat is? It's very good. It's would, excellent. So you re- would you recommend the dopey hat? Yeah, I do recommend it. And somebody asked me if I loved the character Dopey from Disney Then when yeah, I was wearing it. Yeah, that was about that's it. That's irritating All right, let me. All right, let me go. Uh, dopey Nation, uh, have a happy, happy holidays, and everybody stay healthy. Okay, love to all. All right, Ray, back to the thank, end of your story. Thank you, Alan. So uh, they, they, the, do, the Coke guy came and left, and so they're all at the other room doing Coke, and I'm in the other room with my friend, and then they were like, oh, we have a little bit if you want it. Here, take this. So, And they had these insulin needles. So my friend shot me up with the Coke, and that was my first time doing Coke, and I'm like, woo. Well, the first time you did Coke, you shot, you shot it? Yeah, and I'm like, woo, and it like, you know, comes out of your nose. It's just like your head explodes. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, call that guy, get him back here. We need more of this. And they're like, too late. And and then like 10 minutes later, I'm crashing, crashing. And then I'm like crying and I'm like so upset. And I left the party and my friend has followed me. And I'm like, fuck this shit. And I took my keys and my wallet and I threw it on the street in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And I'm like crying. I'm just cr- so depressed it was like so horrible i'm like that's cocaine that is horrible like you know that's why would you do that that was my first experience of like doing one shot and then coming down so you loved that you got that bell ringer sensation oh it was amazing and then you got the misery full crash crying well there you go that's why that's that's my introduction so i've never really liked cocaine i remember there was a, a drug dealer who lived across the hall from me when i lived in chelsea and uh, there were these Spanish kids that lived across the hall, and they sold ecstasy and coke. And then they wound up keeping it in my apartment because their mother of found course. it. So they, it was just dumb to keep <laughs> it in my apartment. But they brought a safe in that I couldn't oh, get God. into. Did they have a gun, too? Yeah, I'm sure they had many guns. Um, but, uh, but one day, I, I, I'd gotten into some kind of thing uh, with a woman, and I was very upset, and I couldn't get any dope. And they gave me, like, an, it was the most coke I ever had, which was, like, an eight ball or, like, like a couple grams I had of Coke, yeah. and I started shooting it alone because I figured I should shoot Coke. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was shooting heroin. Everyone says shooting Coke is the best thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, but you have to shoot it every 10 minutes. It was not. It's like I'm already like on Coke. 
You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, I know. You need heroin to calm you down. Yeah, I, I, it was like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Now, there's some exciting news happening right now. We're preempting Reggie Brown for Dopey Nation regular, incredible writer in the Dopey Nation, Emily Sullivan, who's popping on for a second with a special report. Hold on. For those who don't know, Emily uh, is a great friend of the show. She is a uh, ex-heroin addict, a, a pseudo-recovering heroin addict, I will say. Is that, <laughs> is that fucked up to say that? Yeah, I like that. Okay. And Emily wrote the amazing Hollywood Reporter piece uh, on Dopey, and she also wrote the amazing Vice piece on Dopey, and uh, she has a new piece coming out today in Vice, right? Yes. Um, it was just published like an hour ago. So tell tell the world. Okay, so it's um, it's like a you know modern girl's guide to rehab, um, but it's for boys too. But yeah, it's um, it talks about why people might not go to rehab in the first place because you think you can quit um, whatever your drug of choice is by yourself. You know that's like often the most universal reasoning that people will use. Did you go to um, rehab, before, Emily? Um, yeah. Half a dozen times, yes. All right. So what did we learn? Like, I heard Kat Marnell was in the piece, and I heard a uh, good friend of the show, Amy Dresner, was in the piece. What do they say? Like, what makes a good rehab over a bad rehab? Well, they mostly gave me, like, tips. So Kat Marnell talks about... Um, Okay, because I focus a lot on, like, how to be comfortable in rehab, you know? So give um, some tips. How do you be comfortable? I mean, for me, yeah, like, my tips on how to be comfortable for rehab, lots of pajamas, slippers, yeah. comic books, <laughs> and cartons of cigarettes. What, what do you got? Okay, so cigarettes are obviously in there. That's, like, you know, that's what you do in rehab. You smoke cigarettes. And um, hot showers, hot baths, like chamomile tea, um, Stuff like that. So you want but, you want a, you want a rehab that does not have a group shower, right? Yes, and okay. I like eating sweets. But when I talked to Kat Marnell, she was like, you know, oh, it cannot all be soothing. You have to take care of yourself, and if you get too fat, then you'll just get right back on bugs. And but so, she, but Kat yeah. Marnell wasn't a downer person. Kat Marnell was an upper person, so she doesn't understand the incredible satisfaction of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and hot okay. chocolate at rehab, right? Well, she said that she was, like, so so hooked on sweets when she was in rehab that they had to lock away all of the sugar and all of the honey. Right. Because she was, like, so obsessed with it, and the counselors were like, what is this crazy girl doing, you know? And then um, Amy talks about not having rehab sex. Okay. <laughs> rehab sex it might be the best sex of all, though. Um, well, or the worst. I don't know. Yeah, one or the other. Pickens, you know. So what did Amy Slim say about Pickens. what did what did Amy say about rehab sex? She said not to have it, that rehab sex is bad, and that it's basically like having sex in prison because you just like pick the best from the lot and then when you know the new hot patient comes in, it's very awkward in the meetings when you stop having rehab sex with one person and start having rehab sex with the next person. And oh. then you have to see them in meetings and it's terrible. And someone's going to get hurt. That's a scenario where someone will get hurt. Well, and a lot of people will end up, like, running away. They'll distract themselves with each other from their treatment. They'll run away from rehab and then relapse together. Right. I never had that happen. But I did have, and I didn't even have relapse sex. Hey, but Chris had that happen. He no. He wrote about it but in he, Salon. 
but he, I don't think he, I think he left with a couple. Like, I don't think he was in the no, couple. What no, it, he wrote this whole piece for Salon when I was writing the Vice piece. I was like looking up all the stuff that he wrote. And he wrote this piece for Salon about um, all of his rehab romances. Yeah, I remember that one. The, one. the woman in California, right? I think so, yeah. And what did he say about it? Um, gosh, it's been over a year since I read it, but he just, you know, it's like cheeky. He just talks about hooking up with different girls in rehab. But. I know that the last time I went to rehab, uh, I was like romantically involved and physically involved with the woman. And it definitely, definitely helped my self-esteem. It definitely made that rehab like a great experience. <laughs> I had a couple of rehab relationships and they always made rehab better, but I never left with them. You know what I mean? And they never wound up fucking the hotter guy in the rehab. So that was fortunate. Did you have any rehab <laughs> romances, Emily? Um, kind of. I like, but the guy that I dated in rehab was like, he would come in from the outside meetings, like for the AA meetings at night. So I wasn't technically in rehab with him. Right. And um, he had like four years of sobriety. So he was really fucked up to, to pick you up in rehab then. I know, right? And I remember him saying to me like, I don't think that we should date because you're probably going to relapse and get back with your ex-boyfriend. And I was like, I'm not. Like, I'm in rehab. I'm committed. And then like a month later, I had to call him and be like, hey, I'm sorry. I relapsed. And I got back to <laughs> So he knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we'll say, we'll say, two, did you ever have uh, peanut butter and jelly and hot chocolate in rehab, though? I did have hot chocolate, but my main thing was, like, chamomile tea. I lo- or drank lots of chamomile tea. My thing was to take, like, four packets of hot chocolate and put it in, like, half a cup of water and have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That was my thing. That sounds lovely, and... I've lost you. Are you there? Say it again. That sounds lovely and what? Both lovely and juvenile at the same time. Yeah, I've been, I've been called worse. So what else can we learn <laughs> from this piece? Sorry, Dave, I'm losing you. I'm in a bad spot. Is there, any, is there any last piece of rehab tips that we can give to the Dopey Nation before you go? Oh, do your homework while you're in rehab. They give you homework. You should definitely do it. It's not like empty, busy work. I think you learn a lot. And even if you end up relapsing, you still, like, learn those lessons. You carry with you. It, it's... It's not like a moot point just because you relapse and you have to go back to treatment. And if you relapse after rehab, it's okay. It just means you have to adjust your treatment. You have to try something else or try more treatment or... Something, right. And, and it's like make, right. the mo- make the most of your experience. It costs money. You might as well exactly. engage in it. Totes. Emily, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Emily, why don't you tell the Dopey Nation the new piece we're working on, that you're working oh, okay. on and that I'm funneling <laughs> in through you? Okay, this is a fun one. Um, it's another dopey piece, but it's more focused on Dave relentlessly stalking Artie Lang for two years. And then it's actually, it's actually, and, it's actually been four years stalking Artie Lang, by the way. Well, okay, so it's it's about the two years, and then you calm down, and then you're at it again. So, is it um, is it going to be called stalking Artie Lang? Something like that. Yeah, I love That's it. That's actually what it's saved as on, on my computer, actually. Well, I'm very excited. Artie's not that interested in the piece. I texted him about it, and, and lo and behold, he didn't write back. No, he wrote. He actually wrote back, cool. That's what he wrote back. So, That's funny. But, um, I, I enjoyed having to go through all of your Artie text messages over the last four years, or not text, um, tweets 
over the last four years, I had to go through and read all <laughs> and find which ones to include. And I was like, oh, my God, this is bonkers. Can you think of any that were notably good? Um, there was one that was so creepy that I chose not to include it in the piece because uh, I didn't want to make you look that creepy. Oh, uh, what was it? What was it? <laughs> you were like, you are like, it was one of the days where you tweeted at him like several times in a row. And then like, uh, finally you're like, Twitter is a sad and lonely world. <laughs> and then someone else comments and they're like, this is a creepy tweet, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for being my mirror, my distorted mirror of sadness. And, 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 and thank you for everything you do and check out Emily's piece in vice. It's out now. Yay. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Emily Sullivan. Okay. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. So there she is, Emily Sullivan. That was great. It was awesome. Now we will go to Philadelphia Eagle, Cleveland Brown, Atlanta Falcon, Reggie Brown. See how Brown and Brown kind of rhyme together? Here we go. All right. On the phone right now, we have um, you're our second pro athlete. This is Reggie Truck Brown, professional NFL player, uh, retired. Great day to be alive, Reggie. <laughs> Thanks for having me on board, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, so I just talked to Reggie, and Reggie, when I call Reggie, he answers the phone. Great day to be alive, um, which is a very positive outlook. So, to tell us why is today such a great today? I had to fucking replace my stove. I had to get a plumber in here to run pipes into. It's a whole. It, but it is a great day to be alive, right, Reggie? Yeah, that's right, man. It don't get no good of <laughs> I know what I should good of Okay. So if I get too loud, tell me calm down. No. I did try to sit down. I like your spirit. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, man, the reason why that is so important, that's like I've been, I've been saying great days of life since 1980 that I was in college. Because my coaches used to come to practice. Great days of life to be a duck. I went to Oregon. You know what the Oregon ducks? So they'd come out and say, great days of life to be a duck. I liked that thing, man. I loved it. So I adapted it to me. So whenever I get in situations, I always think back to somebody that works with one, so they can't say that. Somebody's having a worse day than they ever could. They can't say that. They're not going to say that. But no matter how bad it gets, how bad it is or was, every day I wake up, I have an opportunity to do it all over again and make it make it better. So that's why it's not it's a great day to be alive, but this great day to be alive. So it me, makes a difference. Let me ask you this, right? You had yes. some tough days. You know, you had you had your your runs with with you know failure or like things didn't go the way you wanted, drugs. On the worst day, like tell us about the worst day you ever had, and did great day to be alive come into the picture on that day? Okay. Well, you know what? Here we go. When I was in my, in, in, I don't say my worst, but I was, I was in a deep addiction, man. And I used to leave the house, go away for a couple of days, and I was married, had a couple of kids, and I told my wife, I said, if I do it again, babe, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If I do it again, I'll give you the keys when I come back. So the next time I went out, I got to the door, she said, give me the keys. Like a, like a fool, I gave her the keys, man, and I became homeless at that point. And I'm talking about in my town, Newton, New Jersey, I was homeless in my own town. Right. In my own neighborhood. And so my God 
I have a godson, and his mom said, come on, go with me back to Missouri. So I moved to Kansas City, Missouri for about two months. Worst thing I ever did, man. It was worse than Kansas City than I ever thought. It was bang, bang, shoot him up. But you know, while I was there, now, because I had been in an addiction, I get to Kansas City, guess what? It's right there. And while I'm there, it got worse. But after a while, things kind of calmed down. And believe me, it was the worst time of my life. So but let, I still woke up. Let's back up. I mean, you had an illustrious football career. You played with the Atlanta Falcons. You played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You played with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, mm-hmm. When did drugs get into the picture? During that or before that? Well, before that, I never thought about doing anything else. I mean, doing drugs. When I was in high school and college, I smoked a joint in college. Man. I went to Oregon. Come on. What else, what else out there with green trees and stuff, right? Yes, sir. So, <laughs> but when I started playing in Atlanta, listen, man. In Atlanta, I had a friend of mine that used to give me some drugs just to check it out, right? You know, give me a ball, man. Just go hang, hang out. Man, listen, someone taught me how to freebase. And he was about cooking it up the whole night. Taught me over the phone. Mm. Man, I lost my damn mind. Okay? I mean, it was, it was, it was like, it was so, it was so good. I didn't think it was wrong. Okay? But it, it got so bad where after a while it wasn't given to me anymore. Now you got to buy it. So, you know, I'm in Atlanta at this time, my, my second year there. Man, it just turned sour. And they changed coaches. And the new coach came in. He cleaned house. And I was one of those people that he let go of. Okay? And at this point, I'm like, man, what the hell am I going to do now? So I ended up going to Cleveland with Cleveland Browns and a whole nine and and that way, uh, mind you, we talk about different players and different teams. Now I don't know if you remember a guy Heisman Trophy one named Charles White. Yes. Charles White was in Cleveland when I got there. <laughs> Charles White hit more cocaine than I ever thought about doing. Okay? I ain't never thought about doing stuff he did. But you know what? <laughs> I had to get out of there. Man. I couldn't stay there. Okay, I stayed there to die when I was there. So you knew, you knew, you knew that in Cleveland, if you stayed there, it would have been just too much coke, too much white with uh, Charles White. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever call him Charles White? White. That's no. funny. That's funny. Thank you. Yeah. Um, was there a ton of drug use among the players, or was it just a few people here and there? Well, you know what? It wasn't a bunch of players. It wasn't everybody, but it was enough because you know, to, to me, you know. If you got money, you ain't got a problem. Right. Okay? But when the money runs out, now you got a problem. I don't care how much money you got. If you're doing cocaine like that, it'll run out. Yeah. It will run out, man. I found that out. You know, I didn't make $100,000. My, my first year, I made like $87,000. Most of that was bonus money. You know, my minimum salary was $50,000. But the minimum salary now is $500,000. Right. But, you know, if I'm playing, if I'm playing now... That's why I'm glad I played when I did. Because I, I, I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> it would have been I too much be money, here. yeah. Man, listen, but, you know, the stuff is different now. We're, we're, we smoke cocaine. You know, we 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 sweet-based. Okay? We, we, we cooked it up right there. Not just stuff they got out here now, man. There's, there's all kind of stuff. And I don't know what's in it. But I know it don't make you high. just kick a buzz. Okay? But, man, I'm so glad that I did what I did when I did it. Because today... I go to meetings mostly every day. And somebody asked me, Ray, why you still go to meetings? Well, it's not because I need it, but you know what? It is because I need it. Do I, if I stop going to meetings, will I continue to go back? I don't, I don't want to find out. Right. 
I don't want to find out. But you know what? I go to meetings now and let somebody else know that they can do it. Because I'm an example that you can do anything and get out of it. That's for I, sure. That's why every day, every day, man, great day to be alive. I got a chance today to make it better. So, I didn't know that yesterday. No, I know what you mean. I find that... Um, <laughs> You know, my daughter recently asked me if she, she said, "If you don't go to meetings, do you think you'll do drugs?" She asked me, and I said, um, "I said I don't think so, um, but I go to to be as good as I can be." And um, right. I went to a meeting, and I realized at the meeting that I kind of go. Part of it is just to humble myself that I'm one of these yes. people, no matter what. I'm always going to yeah. be one of these people, no matter how well yeah. I'm doing or how bad I'm doing. I'm the same person that I was, and the best that I do, I'll always be one of these people, which isn't a bad thing. We are who, I mean, yeah. like, we're like a special bunch of people, you know? And, and I yeah. think there's a lot of power in us getting together, and it, and it also is just about yeah. the opportunities that we have. Because, I mean, yeah. you, you went from, you know, nothing to, to pro-athlete, like we all go from nothing to something and you went yeah. from nothing to pro athlete and then this shit hit you and and yeah. now you're this uh motivational speaker homelessness how long were you homeless for reggie oh man six months maybe um three to six months i'll say that yeah um and it, it wasn't fun man you know and when i i left i left Kansas city because I just couldn't be there anymore, man. I couldn't stay. It was bang, bang, shoot him up, Kansas City, Missouri. I get back to Newark, and I'm walking downtown Newark. Is where I'm from. I went to high school there. I grew up there. I'm downtown Newark, and I had to go into the housing authority, and I worked in the housing authority. It was $50 a year when I was there. I went to the housing authority trying to find some housing for myself. There was nothing there, okay? Then, then I ended up going to the mayor. <laughs> The mayor, the mayor set me up, and you know he, he, he the mayor of Norway was uh, I can't call for him. Potential spin. Chuck James gave me, got me a job, okay, and in Newark for forty eight thousand dollars. I said, I said, I said, mayor, I, I have no idea what I'm be doing. He said, listen, Reg, how people there don't know what they're doing. <laughs> So hold up, Reg. You, know you could go to the mayor because you were this pro football player that he wanted to see you. Like, can anybody yeah, go to the yeah. mayor, or was it because you were special in that moment? Well, you know what? I, I want to believe that anybody could have went to him, but if you came, if you came with right motives, yes, because he was that kind of guy. But because I was from the high school he went to, right? He was the mayor, and, and I played pro ball, and no one, I, I, there was nothing bad to say about me other than I did drugs. Right. I never did anything to hurt anybody. Other than myself and my family, you know. Can I, I tell you this? Okay. Yeah. No, please. You know, when I got back to Newark and I'm walking around and, and I ran to one of the ladies that used to go to a church all the time, he said, Reggie, Reggie, um, pastor's trying to get in touch with you. I said, okay. So I called the pastor at this particular church and he said, hey, man, I really got something I need you to do. And um, I said, I said, pastor, I don't, he wanted me to run the drug program, right? Inside the church. Right. I said, Pastor, I only got one problem. He said, what's that? And at this time, I've been clean for a little time, a little, little time. He didn't know. So I said, I only have one problem, Pastor. I don't have nowhere to live. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I want you to live in the church and work with the, work with the program inside the, inside the church. I said, wow, look at this. <laughs> but so, you know, I went there. I got it. I, I worked 
with the drugs in there. Mind you, I hadn't been doing anything to get help, but I was clean. I wasn't using. I, I wasn't clean and sober like that, but I was not using. Right. It's been about six months when I got back, okay? So I get a job, not a job, but I get to work in the, in the church. I'm working with these guys. I'm eating. I'm doing all the good, all the right things. So at this time, I'm speaking during the summer at the different places around the, around the city, speaking, but they're not paying me because it's part of a program in the school system. Right. So they're giving me money at the end of it. So at the end of it, I make $5,000. I'm in the church living for free. I'm, I'm speaking, getting paid, but at the end of the, end of the summer, so at the end of it, all over, said and done with, I get an apartment on the, on the 11th floor of this big high-rise. Notoriety, that's what it came to. And I tell you what, man, it changed my life. It gave me sense of a sense of urgency that I need to do something. Something ain't working. And mind you, I'm not a first-time winner. I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because I didn't understand how to do it. Tell me, you know, so tell me, thinks, tell me about some of the times that you tried to get clean and you couldn't, and you couldn't do it, and you went back out. I went through so many programs, programs that had nothing to do with anything. All these programs, all, all I did was waste my money and my time. Now, don't get me wrong. So it worked if you worked it, but I didn't do it. I didn't understand. They either you can go to a program and they're going to teach you how to do this, and they're going to give you some psychology stuff. Now, listen, the best thing I ever did was go to meetings. All those money that I spent for doctors and, and, and all those kind of people didn't do nothing for me. But I go to a meeting with a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts, and guess what? It didn't cost me nothing. Maybe I, I donated a dollar every once in a while, yeah. but that got me clean. No, that man. helped me more than I can tell you, man. Me too. You know, I'm so excited, man. I'm, 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 listen, I'm grateful. I got so much gratitude. For I, I wrote a book recently, right? And in the book, I talked about the rooms. These are the, these are the people that helped me. And I mentioned, I thank the room. I didn't say nothing about I thank the room. Everybody who really understand, they know that. You know what it means when you say the rooms. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the rooms, I couldn't be here talking to you right now. And the book is okay. called What Happened to the Playbook? Yes. Most of my life, I dealt with a playbook. High school, I had a playbook. College, pros, I had a playbook. So when my, my, my plan day is over, what book am I going to use now? Right. Huh. And I'll, let me ask you this. When you talk about yes. the shoot 'em up, shoot 'em up Kansas City, give us a story about what shoot 'em up Kansas City was all about. Man, listen, in Kansas City, I'm going to tell you what it was in Kansas City. It was about guns and drugs. That's all I saw. When I, I was in, I was in that area. I, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I was in the hood right. in Kansas City. I wasn't in the uppity place, I was in the hood. That's where my, 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 my god sister lived, right? And and basically, I didn't have a car, but I drove her car when I needed to go somewhere. So, man, I tell you what, I caught a cat, but it was bang, bang, shoot him up. And and I, I, was in the, I was in the wrong place at the time that that's what it was. Can you give us one story, like one crazy, crazy story from then? <laughs> you know, I remember being in his house. And it's about 20 people in the house, man. It wasn't like a drug house, but it was a, it was a problem. We were having fun. But we were, we, were, we were smoking cocaine, man. We was just, just, just having, having a blast, as we thought. Then all of a sudden, somebody started shooting. I don't know where it was, but I, I know I was down. And I, I, I ain't went back since. That was my last time. Because I, it scared the hell out of me, man. I don't, I don't, I don't be in that kind of craziness. No. You know? what, was the, what, was the, what was the difference between... 
and I know it could be obvious, but what was the difference with, with freebasing in Atlanta while you're on the Falcons and getting Coke for free and, and freebasing and fucking shoot em up, bang, bang, Kansas City? Like, is it night and day? You Because you were in the uppity places and you were in the hood. Like, when it comes yeah. down to it, were they very different or deep down was it the same, just addiction? It was, a, it was an addiction, man. Um, whether you in... Park Avenue or Park Bench is the same damn thing. You know, the addiction is addiction, man, and it doesn't matter what you're using uh, to 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 fund that addiction. But addiction is addiction. They can be addiction to chocolate, but you know, when it comes to cocaine and freebasing and and crack, all that stuff is the same, man. It just it takes over. You know, I somebody I, the doctor asked me now. Um, are you allergic to anything? I said, yeah, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I tell them that all the time, right? And the reason why I say that because she said, why would you do cocaine? I lose my damn mind. Right. I ain't got no mind when I'm doing that. I don't have, I don't think. Because it's, it's like I'm out of control. And I tell you what now, if I, if I went back out today, I start off where I left off. Yeah, I know. It's a, ain't, 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 ain't no progression, no. It's full bloom right now. Full bloom. So when when did, man. when did you get clean? Ah oh, man, it's ah uh, I got clean several times, but now I've been clean for two and a half years. And I tell you, I, let, let me just tell you that two and a half years is a long time. Yeah, I know. No, I you know, know uh, two days is a long time, but two and a, I never thought I can do this. So tell me and the reason why because uh, no, please, I'm listening. I don't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm all yours. You tell me what you want. I want to know what happened two and a half years ago. Like, what was the last day two and a half years ago? Ah, Philadelphia. Philadelphia and Newark were my two places that I used at. I lived in Newark, but I moved to Philadelphia, and it took me a long time. I've been in, I was in Philly for six years, but it took me three years before I did anything in Philly. But when I did it, it was just like being in Newark, okay? And I go to, I, I, I would leave a meeting and go use. Right. I would leave a meeting and go use. Now, because I'm, I'm learning what it is to do this, but I didn't, I didn't take hold of it yet, okay? So it, it was a year before I left Philadelphia that I got my, I got, I got a coin, a, a, year, a year clean before I left Philly. I've been down here for a year and a half. And I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina right now. And since I've been down here, I haven't thought about it. Do you remember, and, though? Do you remember and, Do you remember the last day that you got high? And, like, how, what was it? Tell us about the last day you got high. The last day I got high? Yeah. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun anymore. Uh, I just, I, I, I used and used and used, and I kept going back and forth to the ATM. And, and, and you know what? And to be honest, <laughs> the reason why the last time I didn't go back Cause I went to the ATM, I couldn't remember my damn pen. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember my pen, man. I'm trying to tell you, I've been going there all day and all night. Right. But I couldn't remember my pen. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thanking God that He allowed whatever hell was going on in my head that I didn't remember. Right. So what did you? What did right you, now, I might have died. What did you do then? Like, how did you get help? Where did you go? Uh, when when you couldn't remember the pen, you had been fucking smoking coke all night, all day. And you were like, and what made you say, this is it, I'm done? Like, what happened? Well, you know what? Going to the meetings. And I finally understood the sponsorship 
and I talked to my sponsor about doing the steps. I, I you know, and, and at that time, I, you know, I was so far down, everything was collapsing. Everything was collapsing. But I know I had to do something to change. Mm-hmm. So I did. I started, I started attending the meetings with a different state of mind. I started, I started doing the meetings, not the meetings doing me. You know, and I started telling people what was going on. And I had to be honest. And it was about honesty, man. And I couldn't do it anyway. I thought I was faking and lying about what I was and what I wasn't. And, um, you know, as an addict, man, you get used to lying and, and telling lies and, and not being honest. And um, today, man, it's just about being honest with myself because if I don't be honest with me, I'm all messed up. Yeah, no kidding. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I messed up, man. Did you have to go to detox or rehab, or did you just say, fuck it, I'm done, and start working the steps? Well, you know what? I'll tell you right now. I didn't go. I went to so many rehabs, man. Rehab. It was just something that, if I went to another rehab, it was just for me to get there just, just to have clean time. But you know what? Yeah. I got clean time in the rooms. Because I've, I've been through too many programs, because they're going to tell me the same thing they've been telling me. But what I was going to do, whether I was going to do it or not, that's what made the difference. So when I'm in the rooms... I started listening. Listen, how, how about this? I started listening to learn, then I started learning how to listen. That's that's a nice one. I like that one. Yeah. I was I was a learn ha- to listen. Yeah, listen to yeah. learn to listen and listen to learn. Right? Right, yes sir. Um I yep. was a heroin addict and uh and whenever I stopped whenever I stopped doing dope, I would go into this terrible withdrawal and I could never yeah. get through any kind of time. You know what I mean? Like when I was full blown, yeah. I needed to get locked away. Um, I needed to go go someplace where I couldn't get dope, and I needed to get over the withdrawal. When you're coming yeah. off of smoking coke every day, what's the feeling like? When you're like, I'm done, and you can still live and go to a meeting or whatever. Like, what does it feel like when you're done? Man, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you a scenario. The best I can tell you. Yeah. You remember the, the movie The Lion King, mm-hmm. the animation? And when when Simba and 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 what's the wife's name Samala and the baby come on top of that on top of that rock pirate rock and they stand there and everybody's around them like yeah 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 that's what it felt like I don't know if you see that but to be on top of that pirate rock and my chest stuck out and I got people around me rooting for me I enjoyed that was like me being on the football field they're, they're screaming for me they're cheering for me I needed that man. Right. I knew that. that. For me, that was on top of the world. And what, okay? was there any, like, doubt in your head? Did you feel any kind of, like, like, was there any withdrawal? Was there any, like, pain and sickness when you finished? Or did you just feel so good that you got back to the other side? Well, you know, man, the, the down part, the, the days after that, the days after the last time I knew, that was the worst time that you could have because you're feeling so bad about everything. There's nothing you can do. How the hell do I make it out of this? And I couldn't figure out for the life of me how I was going to get there. But you know what? My man is great day to be alive. I'm going to tell you, whenever I walked into a, to a place to use, you know, they didn't know me. Great day to be alive. <laughs> when I left out of there, it wasn't, it wasn't that anymore. It wasn't great day to be alive. They said, get my money, man. Time to go. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't great day. You know, that's a, that's a damn bad feeling. Yeah. And you know what? I don't, when I'm not feeling like me, I got I to gotta do something, man. And, but I tell you that, when I finished what I was doing, it didn't take me long to understand that I have another chance to wake up and say, great day to be alive. I'm out of this. Right. I made it. 
And, and I think you know, that you're a great, you're a great inspiration. You know what I mean? It's so inspiring to to be able to walk <laughs> away from it and then dedicate yourself to be helping people. How how has that yeah, been for you? Say, how has that been? Man, listen, watch this. If you look in the dictionary, under the word help, don't you appreciate what I'm That's the best I can tell you, man. If you look in the dictionary, under the word help, you're going to see a picture of my face. Right. All I want to do is help somebody. You know, it's, 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 it's a super awesome feeling, man, to help those that don't know they need it, but they know something's going on, they got to have something. I want to be something for somebody, okay? I want to be significant and help somebody else. Not that I want accolades. I want somebody to say, look at what the good things you're doing. No, 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 no. They don't know where I've been. I don't need somebody tapping me on the back. My, my pride is already there. You know, but because I can help somebody else get out of this mess, oh, my God. Well, not even get into the mess. That's what I want. You know, because no one's had to suffer this way. And believe me, I suffered. Listen, I, I I bought a couple of cars for somebody. I bought a home for somebody because of all the money that I spent. Hey, so how you doing? I spent money to, to fund some other stuff, you know? But I'm grateful that I learned when I did because my life right now is so good that if I was doing any better, I would need a twin. <laughs> uh, I love that Reggie and, and, and like being being like on the other side of it and being able to be a motivational speaker to be able to help the next guy it's like it's got you being you again right yeah 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 you know man I'm I'm like Michael Jackson on stage Michael Jackson's kind of a shy guy but put him on stage <laughs> that's me man that's me Okay, uh, I'm so inspired right now, and, and because I can help somebody, man, again, when, it, it's like when, when Christmas time come around, you know, when it's snowing in the area, and you know people help one another, because yeah. it's that time of year, and, and it's that warm, fuzzy feeling you get, because you help somebody out of the snow, or you help somebody get up, or you help somebody plow their, 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 their sidewalk, you know how good that feels? Yeah. That's what I feel right now. That's what I feel right now. Well, that's beautiful, and, and and we can check out. People could get your book at at uh, as a great great day to be alive. Great day to be alive. dot net, and uh, yes. and you're in North Carolina now. Yes, sir. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. You enjoying Raleigh? Man, listen, I don't know what took me so long to get here. It is so absolutely wonderful for me. Uh, and, and again, geographics don't always change things, but I tell you this: it's what I needed to give me. Uh, a whole nother episode of my life. This is the, this is the fourth quarter of my life. I, in my book, I don't talk about first chapters, third chapter. I talk about first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. This is the fourth quarter of my life. I'm enjoying this sucker. I'm a win. Do you find, okay? do you ever meet young athletes who are struggling with the same kind of thing that you struggle with? And you, do you, do you ever see yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and one of the things I, I like about going around speaking in different places, a lot of times people come to me and say, hey, Rich, well, it, it, I know some, I have some kids telling me before, hey, Rich, if you did drugs, you like, you all right, so I guess I can go out and do it too. No, 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 no. That's the wrong impression I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to tell you that I did something that could have killed me, should have killed me, but God gave me a chance to make it better so I can come and tell you to go that road. Right. Absolutely. Well, it's a yeah. miracle, and I, I mean, I'm very, very happy that you could uh, turn everything around and that you could come on and tell a little bit of your story. Um, how yeah. bad do you think uh, 
athletes are with drugs these days. I, I feel like it's not in the news the way it was in the 80s. You don't hear about so many athletes on drugs like you used to. Uh, why do you think that is? Because they learn how to keep the ass in the house. You think because they're protecting the money, they're protecting the career. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you? They're th- still doing it. They're still doing it. Okay. You know what's the guy name that played for? Um, he played for Cleveland, and then he ended up going to the Patriots. Um, uh, he's a wide receiver. I have no idea. I, I'm not. I good. can't tell you what his name is. But neither am I. But I. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you this, man. He um, he showed that it's still going on. And it's still a problem. I don't care how much money you got, how much money you don't have. It's a problem. Right. Okay. But you need, you need, it's not just you can do it by yourself. You cannot do this alone. You cannot do this alone. I emphasize, you cannot do it alone. And if you want to suck yourself away and put yourself in the closet and don't say nothing and just like do it on the slide, you can't do it on the slide because it's going to come out. It's too overwhelming for you by yourself. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an example, you know, as a pro athlete. You know, I didn't want nobody to know what I was doing, so you know, I thought I was doing a down low. Somebody knew, man, because they saw you coming in and out of it. They saw where you was going. Come on, man. I'm not that naive today, you know? But I'm grateful that, like I said, I made mistakes. And it doesn't matter whether you get it now or get it tomorrow, but you got to get it. Right on, man. You got to get it right. got to get it right, man. Well, I, right? I do appreciate having you on the old show. And uh, oh, man. <laughs> and and have a fucking Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes, and uh, if there's yes. anything we can ever do to help, let us know. Hey man, listen, just promote the book for me, man. Um, if you go to my website, you'll see that on on the website. So greatdaytobealive.net. Greatdaytobealive.net. No doubt, Reggie. No in between. Just just greatdaytobealive.net. All right, perfect, okay. man. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, man. Let me know when you're here. I will. Okay. I love to hear it. All right. Okay? Right on. Thank you, man. Right. Have a Appreciate great one. You, man. you too, man. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye. So there's Reggie Brown. It's, al- it's always a treat to have a pro football player, and Reggie Brown was a sweetheart. And um, I think he really painted a picture of desperation. Yeah, I thought that was like a really good, when you go to a meeting and there's like a really good speaker in a meeting. One thing I'm always surprised at is when ball players can do cocaine and freebase cocaine and, and do drugs... I mean, if you're like, when you hear like a celebrity or a rock star or a movie star, like, okay, you can do that. You can trudge through that. But if you're an athlete, if you're an athlete, how do you do that shit? Well, I think that lots of, you know, a lot of musicians have an athletic uh, way of doing their music. You know what I mean? Like a lot, like, like Mick Jagger fucking trains like he's a fucking athlete. Um, but Neil Young doesn't. Yeah. You know, like Neil Young could fucking do a ton of coke. Mick Jagger's and, got a six pack, and he's like seventy five years old. Listen, I think that cocaine and drugs slow down professional athletes' abilities to be professional athletes really fast. I mean, if he played football, like how do you do that? And Reggie Brown uh, showed up. Um, you know, he fucking destroyed his life, and now he's reclaiming it through helping others. You know, through the twelfth step, which is beautiful. He says. What does he say? Today's a good... Today's a good day. That's what he says? Today's the best day. I don't think he says that. What does he say? Today's something or other. Today's Fuck. great. <laughs> great day to be alive is what he says. That's great. Yeah, that's how I felt walking here today. That's how I feel every day. Yeah. Great. I don't. I don't really feel like that. Every day a I'm lot like, of days. Fuck. I can't believe I have to do... I, I don't... You see... Great, ba- great day to be alive is like a sort of baseline for me. Mm-hmm. But like, I love to complain. 
Like, I, I love know, it. I, I know. You complain about everything. I love it. What's the last thing I complained about? This show. What did I say? You, you, every time you're like, this is the worst show ever. I'm like, no, this is a really great one. Well, I love complaining. Complaining, I feel like, knits the fabric of the universe together. <laughs> if I complain, you know how I feel. You're and you feel strongly. You can empathize with me. If you complain, I can empathize with you. When someone says can't complain, what they're really saying is I refuse to connect with you. That's what I can't complain means. I refuse to, I'm shut off. I refuse to comment on this situation. I am not willing to share my feelings about the moment. Right, I'm not involved. Jews are expert complainers. (laughs) And like, I think it's just crying out for connectivity. Yeah. What do you think, Ray? That's a good theory. It's my theory. Um... And Ray had the pleasure of coming to our uh, family Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. That was so much fun. What did you think? Well, I could complain about that, too. What are you going to complain about? <laughs> well, I, was, I had booked a job, and I was like, cool, this lady wanted me to paint her apartment on Thanksgiving. And I'm like, I like that. You're like, we're not going to celebrate. I get a break from Thanksgiving. But then I finished the job, and Dave wrote and said, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And I was like, nothing. Like, in a good way. And he's like, well, come to my dad. See, I, I, got, see, I felt like it's funny the way texting works. Yeah, there's no emotion in texting. You know, he said nothing, and I was I'm, like, poor Ray. I, I, I meant like a, nothing. I'm off. <laughs> and I was like, poor Ray. Nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. It was 10 o'clock at Sad, night. Sad, alone. It was 10 o'clock at night, and I, and I did what I always do to freak out my dad, is I text him. Dad, I have a problem. I, I do that with everything. I'm on heroin. Yeah, that's what he always thinks. I'm in jail. And he goes, he's like, he's like so scared every time I say I have a problem. But I was like, is it okay if we add another person for yeah. Thanksgiving? He's like, Ray, of course. So, so, so I, I said yes, and then, and I was in, like, I, I like the idea of, but Dave's like, come to my dad's, and I thought, thought it would be Alan, Linda, the kids, and Dave. And I walked in, and there's no Dave. And there's 17 members of Dave's family that I've never met. I was there. You were like in the back with the baby. And I was like, kind of. Wasn't Linda there? Wasn't Linda? I didn't see Linda. And I just saw all these people I didn't know. And I kind of freaked out for a second. And then I just like dived in. And like everybody was so cool and so friendly. And they were like, how do you know Dave? And I'm like, from music. And they're like, Dave does music. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was just talking to. A bunch of his family, and then finally Dave came out. But Dave, Dave wound up being busy the whole night because he was involved with the kids. And then he and Linda were fighting at one point, and they left the table. And I'm just like at the table. Well, what happened was I had the baby. Linda, Linda takes care of the baby. Yeah. And um, and Linda's a very very dutiful mother. Yeah. She she will not eat until the baby eats, and uh, and then she says, after the baby eats, you take the baby and I'll eat. And I was begging her for the baby while. While I was eating. So eventually she gives me the baby, and I want to be Mr. Natural with the baby. So I put the baby on my lap, and I take a plate, and I put a little mashed potato, and I put a little sweet potato, and I some very small turkey pieces, and I put a string bean on the plate, thinking that the baby can happily munch on string beans. And then I'm, like, making jokes with the family, and the next thing I know, the baby's joking on the string bean. Swallowed the string bean. And everybody (laughs) freaks out at me. And Linda grabs the baby, and it was just, like, it was was a little moment. But we we bounced back. It was really fun. And, like, I I had a great time. I have the, like, wow, I, I... 
the young me would not have felt comfortable in, in this situation talking with everybody. And then at one point, I'm on the sofa, and all right, Dave was like, Dave's nephew said some or cousin Jeremy said something. And because oh, Jeremy listens to the show, and, and, and he's like, "Yes, that's Ray." And then I came over, and I'm talking to Jeremy, who's very cute, and I'm I'm like chatting with him in front of his parents, and I'm feeling like very like lecherous old man. And Jeremy comes up to me, and he goes, "Do you think Ray showered in those clothes?" <laughs> so that was sweet. Um, but we loved having you for Thanksgiving. The food was delicious. It was it was really the great. The food was very. And you know very what I good. really liked? Tell was me. Because everybody came on the train, and everybody's looking at the train schedule, so there's no lingering. This was like it's seven o'clock. This party is over. Boom, we're out. Well, that's how I like to be. That's the best thing that's about the, the train. I, yeah, it's like, like time to go. I'd love to stay, but the train is at seven ten. That might have been the first family Thanksgiving that we left on a high note too. Like, things were going well. There was no when, fighting. Well, there was little fighting, and <laughs> things were going well when we left. Like, we actually wanted to stay later, which is never the case. Oh, you were usually... Well, at one point, your uncle said to me, he's like, just wait till this... Just wait. This is going to get crazy. I'm like, what? And he's like, wait till the food starts being passed around. And I'm like, well, what's going to be the problem with that? And then, the, then everybody's screaming, and the food's being passed around, and everybody's screaming about the food. And then I thought, this could have all been solved by just having a buffet... In the living there would world. have been another problem. Yeah, that's not my family doesn't work like that. My family just wants to eat. You know, they're cra- Everyone wants a full plate immediately, and I'm up there like an idiot serving everybody, making plates. Dave served, yeah, making plates like an idiot. So it was like you were at, at Katz's. Yes, it was like I was at Katz's. So I'm going to say two names. You're going to decide who you want to hear from. Do you want to hear from Richard Malcolm or do you want to hear from Tina? Well, I'm intrigued by Tina because the connotations of her name. What are the connotations Tina of her name? Tina is crystal. I didn't know that. That's the gay term for crystal meth. Well, Tina, th- you know what's going to happen is Richard Malcolm's going to miss I another w- episode. No, Oh, Richard Malcolm. Yeah. Okay, go with Richard Malcolm. I know who he is. I think we're going to go with both. I don't fucking okay. care. Here is Richard Malcolm. Hey Dave, this is uh, Richard Malcolm from the Dopey Nation Facebook group, Dick Vegas on Instagram, Dick Vegas on Twitter. Anyway, I'm going to tell the story about how I got arrested with the uh, house manager at Sober Living. Um, I was living at Sober Living trying to stay sober and I turned into that guy I never wanted to be, the guy who was getting high in Sober Living. So the manager was trying to help me out by like saying I was passing the urine test but he knew I wasn't and he was trying to help me get clean and suggesting things for me one day he calls me up at work and says hey I want you to get me some of that heroin because uh, somebody I work with wants to get some so I was like okay I you know get him some he gives me some money and I go get some and uh, all we have is black tar out here pretty much so I give it to him and he's from the east coast and he expected it to be powder, white powder. And so I, uh, he wanted me to show him how to smoke it. And then he starts smoking it. So I'm like, oh, this is not going to end up good. Anyway, a couple weeks later, he calls me. And I can tell he's been drinking. And he wants me to get him some Coke. I'm like, at this time of night, only Coke I get is shitty. He's like, I don't care. Give it to me. So I give it to him. I mix some foilies to show him how to smoke it. And he says, this is garbage. Let's go get some crack. So we hop in my car. And I know this isn't a good idea. But I take him to a couple places. And 
he doesn't know the town, so we, we try a couple places, finally goes to this bar. He's in there a while, and he comes out with this bag, and we go in the car to smoke it, and it turns out it's meth. And he, like, throws it on the floor of my car. Later, I picked it up and just put it in my pocket and smoked some of it, of course. Then we go down to East Fremont Street where a lot of that action happens, and we meet this girl who's super cool. She gets us some, and all she wants is a little bit of powder, powder coke, and uh, she hangs out with us, and we go smoke, and eventually I go back to the... uh, He gets a room, and I go back to the sober living and try to sleep for a couple hours because I have to go to work. Then I go to work the next day, and I'm smoking the meth, and smoking the remnants of the the stuff that's in the uh, stem. And uh, I give half the meth to this kid at work because it's a big fucking shard, and uh, which turns out later to be a good idea. So later that evening, I give him a call because I he'd been talking about killing himself. He was talking about it a lot. And I'm like, no, man, can't do that. And uh, he's going to go back east and kill himself, he says. So I go to, I call him up to check on him, and he's in a motel room. So I go hang out with him, and he has me go pick up some more for him. And he pick up, pick up the girl again. So the three of us are in the hotel room, and we're smoking. I'm, me and the other dude, the manager, are smoking. And the girl's just hanging out, and she's hungry. So I say, hey, let's go to Danny's. It's real close just to get out of that dingy fucking scene. Anyway, he goes to take a shower, and while he's in the shower, I hear a knock at the door, a weird knock. And I look out the people, and I don't see anything. So I put the lock on it, crack it open, and it's two cops standing there. And they're like, uh, is Ray there? And I'm like, yeah, but he's in the shower right now. And they're like, uh, is he okay? I'm like, yeah, of course he's okay. And they're like, can you come outside here? I'm like, sure. And first thing they do is put handcuffs on me and tell me, oh, we're not arresting you. We're just doing this for our safety. And then they search my pocket, and I had that chart of meth that he'd bought at first in my pocket, along with a pipe. Not a pipe, just a, a tutor. And uh, I'm also, you know, at this time smoking heroin all day, too, because I do that every day. And then... Uh, so they pull the guy out, they pull the girl out, they find drugs in the room, paraphernalia, they take us all to jail. The whole reason they showed up was because somebody who was a friend of his had called the police because he was talking about killing himself. So it was like a welfare check that ended up taking us both to jail. And uh, first thing he does when he gets there is say he's having chest pains. Because he's the same age as me, we're both 58. I'm probably the oldest fucker in the dopey nation. And uh, so he leaves me alone in the holding cell, and I'm getting fucking dope sick. And I start throwing up, and I'm sneezing, and I'm fucking breathing heavy. And I tell him I'm sick. I need, you know, I need some help. I need to see medical. And they won't give me. Finally, they take us all to medical, and I keep going to the window. And medical keeps saying, sit down, sir. Finally, they get to me. My blood pressure is through the roof, like 190 over 110, because that's what happens to me when I detox. And they're like, why didn't you say something? Anyway, so I spent about 20 hours in jail. They OR'd me, and uh, I couldn't remember anybody's phone number. My phone was dead, so I actually called my mother-in-law to pick me up and got a lecture the whole way home. I hope this is your bottom. Don't you know what you're doing to your wife, blah, blah, blah? And anyway... I copped later that day because I was sick and 
eventually I got to uh, rehab and I got 70 days sober now. So stay strong, Dopey Nation. Minase toodles. Love you guys. You're my favorite podcast. All right, the great Dick Vegas, a.k.a. Richard Malcolm. 70 days that day. I wonder if he's still clean. We didn't play the, the fucking voicemail. I wonder, Richard Malcolm, did you relapse because we didn't play the voicemail for so long? I hope not. What day did that come in? A long time ago now. Oh. A long time well, ago. Well, uh, uh, call in or, or send an email. Yeah, send an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Richard, do you have DOS effects playing in the background <laughs> while you're recording? All I can hear is that fucking beat in the background but that's how add i am like i have problems you were following that i i struggle i i, no, I mean you're following the music in the background yeah i just hear that thing thing the james brown guitar riff in the background but um i i appreciate the call the the voicemail everybody's voicemail i love i love using stories and, in treatment and you sound really young and you said you were 58 i was surprised but you're not the oldest person in the dopey nation i am no i think there's I'm, no there's probably older i think dave masculani is older than both of you okay i don't know i don't know <laughs> dave masculani are you older than richard malcolm i don't know i love the dopey nation i love hearing from you guys i'm incredibly um happy that this thing does anything for anybody i think that is the best don't you think so yeah, that had like people. Dave keeps knocking my mic over. People, that was the first time I knocked your mic over. You knocked the no, mic over. No, that was like the fifth time you've knocked it over. Now it's fucked. Now, there was like several people written to me saying, you, it's, You're helping us so much. And I'm like surprised just from like stupid shit I said. Well, what do you think about the power of the Dopey podcast, Ray? I'm trying to fix my mic. I'll fix it. You just talk. Uh, the power of the Dopey. It's. Pretty amazing to have like heard Dave talk about this that he was thinking about doing this whatever five years ago, and that people are like writing saying I got sober from the Dopey podcast. My favorite thing is how anti-Dopey you were, how, and now he wears a different Dopey shirt every day of the week. Oh, that's a Dave's New York shirt. It's yes. almost a Dopey shirt. <laughs> I love the Dave's New York shirt. Um, the point is that. Um, the Dopey Podcast, you know, would just be nothing if it wasn't for the Dopey Nation. So we do love that uh, you guys send in voicemails, and we love that you guys love each other. And basically, like, we're all a bunch of fuck-ups trying to get well. So that's awesome. Speaking of fuck-ups trying to get well, Emily mentioned the great Artie Lang. And... Um, <laughs> I have to say that I have a problem with this whole thing. Like, I'm killing myself. I said thing. that before. I'm like, lay off Artie. Like, Listen, enough. What do you mean? You don't Because you're not a big Artie. When Artie's you fan. asked me to go stalk Artie with you, and I said no. Well, you missed out. I got, I, you know. You I, got a picture of Artie with a fucked up nose. All right. I, I don't like the way this segment is going at all. Hold on. The fact of the matter is I have an obsessive personality. You know, as seen through my many years of drug addiction. Yes. My, this is the thing with me. When I get an idea in my head, I, I stick with it. You know, if it's getting my family back together. Yeah. How long was oh, I on no, about I, that? No, I know. And I, I said to Dave at one point, I'm like, you need to forget this idea. Like, Linda is Linda's done with you. you, you were, this is never going to happen. She has a new boyfriend. You need to drop this and, and go somewhere else. And what did I say? And you're like, I want my family back. I'm going to pursue this. And he did it. I'm not, it is amazing. Not only that. And this, yeah, and dopey. Like, he's like, I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It's all the same thing. It's also the same as sobriety, you know, yep. or sobriety, however you want to sobriety. say it. Sobriety. It's like the, the point of, I mean, and that's what I think a lot of people respond to, the fact that we do dopey 
no matter what. And when I say we, we, yeah, Ray does it sometimes. I always do it. Sam helps out. Uh, There's this woman, Sarah, who fucking helps book people. I have a lot of friends who help. And and I'm not going to stop making the show. And it's a lot like not using, you know, it's like every day You're I, th- I think about the show. pursuing something. And, and, um, and poor Sam, Sam hears the most about it. And Sam uh, works the hardest on Dopey besides me. I've so, witnessed that. I'm yeah. like, you obsessively, things that I wouldn't respond to. If you wrote to me the things that you wrote to Sam, I would like just turn my phone off. Well, Sam is an incredible uh, help on the show, a great producer of the podcast. But And Sam, if anybody doesn't want to hear about Artie, it's Sam. Oh, Sam, really? Sam won't hear about it anymore. Oh, okay. But I'm going to say this. Artie will be back on Dopey. I will not give up. But what I will do is I am going to lay off Artie for a little bit. I've been listening to his podcast, though. Oh, it's out? It's out. It's oh. like nine episodes in. How is it? It's good. Does it sound like Dopey? No, it doesn't. But oh, he, did have, he did have Lenny Dykstra on. And Lenny Dykstra told a story about uh, about being at St. Bart's with Robert De Niro and doing coke with Robert De Niro really? all the time. It was crazy. What I would support is you going on Artie's show. Well, to be honest, to tell the Dopey Nation the truth, um, Artie Lang invited me on his podcast. Oh, really? But it's one of those invitations that you don't know when. He doesn't give it's me a vague. date. It's a very... You should come on sometime. No, he said, I want you to come on. Okay. Because I have this crazy, Promote. I have a crazy Lenny Dykstra story that really? I've never told. Okay, cool. Um, and Artie wants me to tell it on his podcast, which I will do. Use Artie to promote your show. If we ever get the opportunity, I will go on um, Artie's halfway house because I have lived in my share of halfway houses too. Anyway, it's another episode, right? Yep. You got anything else? I think that's it. Fucking, you know. Um, Subscribe to the podcast. I don't know what that means, but if you can figure out how to subscribe to the podcast, you should do it. Leave a five-star review. Supposedly, that does something. iTunes fucking doesn't care about us. Nobody cares anymore. Fucking five-star review. I don't know how to subscribe. I'm not subscribed, and I don't know how to write a review. I don't know how to find iTunes. Just figure it out. You don't know how to find iTunes. Aren't you on iTunes? If I try to open iTunes, my computer is like, you have to enter your password for iTunes, and then I enter something. It's like, wrong password. That's funny. You know, Ray... Some listeners have written me and want to hear your music. Should we direct them to your, your music or no? Yeah. So tell them how. Uh, you can find me at raybrownworld.com or raybrown at, at Bandcamp. All right. So I'm on Spotify, Amazon. I'm on everything. So that's Ray. He's got beautiful Google, music. Google Ray Brown Canyon. Yeah, just you can't. Just don't get confused with Ray Brown, the famous the jazz musician. fucking Ray Brown... Uh, Claimed my Spotify, well, and then he put my Spotify on his playlist. So Ray Brown is stealing my money. I'm pretty sure Ray Brown is dead. First, of his all. estate, and second of all, I have to say this: Ray, my friend Ray, who's sitting here, his name isn't really Ray Brown. He had to change his name, and he chose the name of a famous musician <laughs> to become a, a musician, which is just like logically not a good move. And somebody on. Uh, Pirate Bay wrote warning to everybody. If you think this is Ray Brown, it's it's some it's not. It's if the jazz musician. This is some stupid pop musician who didn't have the the. Uh, this is some gay, gay folk, the G yeah, folk. He didn't movement. have the brains to change his name to some. Is he said this would be like if your name was Paul McCartney and you didn't change it. So I thought he's comparing me to Paul McCartney. No, the Thank funny, you. The funniest thing is if you because they assume that was your name was Ray Brown. But your name isn't right. You changed it to an obscure bass player's name. But you know, I remember that story when we were in, in Washington.
Washington. We were talking about the the G folk. Yes. The gay that folk. Horrible moment. moment. Yeah. Why was it horrible? You were trying to change my name to G Ray. Yeah, G Ray. We're gay Ray. <laughs> but with the G folk, you remember Warren G and the G funk movement? No. It was like to regulate. You don't know Warren G? Nate Dogg? Oh, Nate Dogg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The G funk movement. Yeah. And you'd be like, I've the, never heard of the G funk movement. You'd be the G folk movement. No? You're not into it? No. And you could do a folk version of Regulate. I'm done with music. Are you done with music? <laughs> I think so. No, I, I have a gig in Dublin coming up. All right. So um, I think that's it. Okay. Next week, we will play Tina's incredible voicemail. And I know you guys will be pining for it. So write emails to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Thank you, Cormac, for all the stuff you do. And um, everybody else... Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind when I leave this busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. Wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had